We are Danny and Marcus Delalio, and welcome to Deep Diving Delalios. All right, so welcome back to part three of United 93. This has been an ongoing saga with us because we've had a lot of technical issues, but also it's just been extremely heavy content to me. Yes. So. And also, part three. So the one coming out this week is not going to have this part. Not going to have this part. That's the no, first surprise like, of the day. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I was editing. We, we were going to amalgamate these episodes into one. But as I was editing it this week, I really don't think. Because, like, look, Marcus, I'll pull it up on our iMovie thing. We're at an hour, eight minutes. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I don't think there's a way to, like, amalgamate this. And that's why. So I'm having trouble. I've had a, a lot of trouble with scripting United 93. I, I talked about it at the beginning of the last episode. Where I put a disclaimer up. But it's so. Uh, it's. I think this is, like, one of the most visceral parts of 9-11. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and something that we can all kind of not only empathize with, but kind of put ourselves in the shoes of those that were on board. And it's just, um, there's so many moving parts to it. And no matter what, we're not going to be able to cover the full the full amount of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, our first episode, we talked about the days before what happened with the hijackers. We talked a little bit about Todd Beamer and um, a few other things. And then... Um, and our government and kind mm. of what they knew ahead of time. And then our second episode, we talked about the hijacking. And that, I mean, there were over 37 calls made from the plane. So that there was a lot to cover in that as well. And now we're going to be diving into the crash and um, a fifth plane. Um, the fifth plane thing, and that's been something that's been talked about a lot. Because we have gone through, if you've been following the series at all, we've gone through each um, hijacking and the events of the day. And there has been suspected for years now um, that there was a possible fifth plane mm-hmm. that never took off that morning because things were delayed. But before we get any farther, uh, I didn't get to mention in the last one, when United 93 crashed at 10.03 a.m., we talked about the velocity last time they were traveling at and how one of the hijackers had turned the flight upside down, which, by the way, I was able to find a chart that we'll put up here because we were confused in the last one of... Where were they exactly when um, the plane started to go down? Because they had started, remember, they pitched at the beginning of the hijacking, the hijackers had pitched it up 40,700 feet Mm. about there, right? And then at the end of it, when they decided they were just going to pitch that nose down, which wasn't just to crash it, as you had explained in the last one, it would have been to try to get to the passengers to the back of the plane as well. Um, They were. It it does, in, in my opinion, that kind of a maneuver also highlights the fact that these these people weren't super well trained on aircraft oh really right because you would think if even if you were like ten thousand feet above the air you would think you'd have enough time to correct yeah uh you won't you won't have enough time to correct uh because this is a very different uh flying machine than what they would have been um learning on okay so this is when it pitches itself up Mm -hmm. right and then all the way and then it coming down, so you can see they were under 10,000 feet here. And then I guess they pitched it up again. Yeah. And then they brought it down again. We can't see exactly when they turned the plane because it was upside down when it hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, um, when I found that visual, I think it was on Friends of United 93, I was like, wow. It's amazing that the passengers and they were still fighting like you could hear it until the end on the, the black box we don't have the audio for that but the transcript will put it down in the tra- in the description like we did last week you can read it. it's very disturbing um 
but they were still fighting, you know, and that's crazy when you think the plane, where it was headed because of the G-force and everything. Oh yeah, you'd be sick, you'd be sick to your stomach. So when United 93 crashed in the field, it was going 563 miles per hour and was less than 20 minute flying distance from Washington DC at the time of the crash. And last week's episode, we also talked about the shoot down order when it was given and how it would have been impossible for the United States military to have stopped it as the plane was already crashed in that field when they found out about it. But it crashed in an old strip mine field. And of course, the locals at the time, they thought, oh gosh, like what, what's going to crash next? Mm. Because they thought maybe there's something underground. And we didn't know, obviously, at the time that that was the last plane to be hijacked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We had no idea. And mm -hmm. with the supposed fifth plane, it might not have been the last plane to be hijacked as well. So the jet fuel and the speed at which United 93 had hit the ground left nothing but fragments of the plane and those that had been inside of it. And like we said in the last episode, people were finding fragments of even human remains in Shanksville Mm. um, for a while afterwards. On the 10th anniversary of uh, September 11th, there was a private funeral held um, for those final remains that they kind of they couldn't really identify of the the victims that had been on the plane, okay? Mm. Um, so they had three caskets worth, yeah, that they buried at the site, and the family members and victims um, of the family members they they were there. Now this had me wondering because these were still unidentified remains, how they kept the hijackers separate. From the victims. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because you would not want to bury Ziad or, or anyone with the victims. Yeah. Especially on what we kind of as Americans deem as holy ground when it comes to 9-11. According to a New York Times article, all 40 passengers and crew members were identified by DNA. Okay. So they had dental records and fingerprints. So they were able to be identified. Not all of the remains were able to, but none of the hijacker families reportedly provided genetic information. So it was by process of elimination, they ah. were able to remove the remains of the hijackers from the victims. Good. And they labeled them as hijackers A, B, C, and D to keep them separate from the rest. Good. Yes. I will say I found it interesting. Um, the county coroner, Wally Miller, he was the one that had to inform the families um, that there were just it was just pieces of their loved mm. ones left. He was the one that had been there from from the beginning. We quoted him in the last um, episode, and he was actually present at that memorial as well. Which I man, just, that would be hard, wouldn't man, it? Man, that would be. I look coroners. I I don't understand. I don't understand how you how you get into that line of work. Mm-mm. But my goodness, they are some. They're some hardcore folks because I would I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to do that. No. That, that's that is so hard man like that would be and having to inform the family like no yeah no now when it comes to a fifth plane because this has been a long talked about thing do you have this in your conspiracy theory i do not because i knew you, you were going to talk about okay, it. okay okay so so while the attacks are going on let's take it back to that day earlier in the day while the attacks are going on over at new york's john f kennedy international airport Another flight, so this isn't an airport where the other ones were taking out, because remember, Mm. um, the two that hit the tower, they were out of Boston Logan, the Newark was United 93, and uh, Dulles was American Airlines 77, right? Okay. There was another flight that was set to take off at JFK's airport, uh, United Airlines Flight 23. Now, their flight was scheduled to take off at 9 a.m., so... 
That's where I have a little doubt that this was the fifth flight because yeah. if you look at the others, it was 8 a.m. and they were all hoping to hit their targets within 10 minutes of each other. So that's where my personal doubt comes in that this was associated. Yeah. But I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, everything else, I mean, this, it all happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. So quickly. And then this would just be like an hour away from. From everything else. So Captain Thomas Manello and his co-pilot Carol Timmons, who a decade later, I thought this was interesting to note just because of your field of work and everything else. Um, she was the first woman general at Delaware Air National Guard. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, they had been taxiing to the runway where 10 planes were lined up waiting to take off. Okay. A report from either the tower or ground control came through to them as they sat on the runway that no one was taking off or landing. At that point in time, Ben Sliney had given that order that we're, we're done in the air. Mm. Like, you know, um, their plane was facing away from the Manhattan skyline, so they couldn't see what had happened in New York. Manello said that, like the rest of the world, they assumed that this had been an accident when it was reported to them that a plane had hit the towers. But they would receive that message from Ed Ballinger. Remember that we talked about yes. the last one where yes, Ed yes. said, beware any cockpit intrusion Two aircraft in New York hit the Trade Center bills. Now, Manello relayed this message to the flight attendants via intercom. So he talked to them over the intercom and let them know that they were not to try to enter the cockpit. One of them immediately responds back. We've got these four weird young Arab guys sitting in first class. It's unusual. Okay. Yeah. So then he says, next I heard the strangest radio call I've ever heard in my life. New York ground controllers in the tower said, ladies and gentlemen, the airport is now officially closed. We've been ordered to evacuate this facility. You are on your own. And then dead silence. So that's when he realizes we're not going to take off and we all need to go back to our gate. And so they start talking pilot to pilot because they're not Mm. getting any instructions from From the the tower. tower, So the tower just left. According to Manello. Yeah, they were like, you're good luck. Okay. What? So he then informed the passengers they're headed back to the gate. The route they took had that view of Manhattan, and they could see the smoke just pouring out of the World Trade Center. Now they parked at Gate 2, Terminal 7, and the passengers deplaned while Manello and Timmons began the process of shutting down their engines. So the terminal was a ghost town, but they gathered near a TV where announcers later said that hijacked aircraft had that had been transcontinental flights had hit the World Trade Center. So he immediately contacts the FBI and was like, hey, I'm a transcontinental flight, and there was something weird about these guys on the flight, too. So he starts putting things together, right? So he gets interviewed by the FBI, um, and the agent did tell him that they were looking for four other gentlemen. That's according to Manello. Now, whether this meant from his flight or not, we don't know. And according to CNN, the FBI found four individuals that they were looking for, checked them out, but they were released because they weren't involved. But the Manello said there's a big catch to that. A few days after the event, the chief um, pilot for one of the other flight managers called him to ask the tail number of his airplane because box cutters were found stashed on a United jet at JFK while planes while the planes were grounded. Okay. So his tail number ended in 6002, and it was parked near another plane with that number 6001. So they found box cutters on 6001, Manello said, and they speculated that perhaps someone made a mistake and put them on the wrong plane, but how passengers wouldn't be able to do that. Even hijacker passengers wouldn't be able to do that. So that's where the conspiracy theories no, kind of get into it. No, you'd be able to. 
there's a put it on the wrong plane well no like you take you take the plane mm-hmm. and the assumption is and i mean like flights flight paths and stuff change almost on the daily right mm-hmm. so just thinking about it there was a guy there used to be um uh he was a terrorist i can't remember what he was for though who would plant bombs on planes and what he would do is he would put it underneath the seat and it would be triggered once the plane reached cruising altitude the next time. But you would be able to, back then, plant things on planes and wait for somebody else to come and get them. Now, box, yeah, <laughs> but box cutters were, I mean, they were legal to bring on. And if you were pl- planning this whole thing, I don't know why you wouldn't just be like, okay, you know, bring your own box cutter kind of thing. Yeah, right. Why wouldn't you just bring it with you? Why so, would you plan it on the plane? So that's a little bit weird. Yeah, so Manella was quoted as saying, I would think this was all an ugly coincidence, except for that fact. He said, it's irritating. I just don't understand why they have released no information about it. I'm sure they have a lot of inquiries. Nobody got hurt. If they just pick these guys up, why not tell the truth about it? Now, his co-pilot, Tim, and she would actually pass away in 2020. But in a 2011 interview with the Delaware News Journal, when she was asked about this, she was quoted as saying, the FBI asks questions. They don't tell you things. Yeah. And I, I will say, Manella would later say in an interview with Garrett Graff on his podcast, Long Shadow, that I've talked about before on here, that he now doesn't think that his plane would have been one of the hijacked ones after looking back on it and everything. Mm. But at the time, it just seemed, especially where everyone's heightened emotions and stress level Oh, yeah, and heat of the moment and everything. Yeah, and I do think what his flight attendant reportedly, according to him, said back to him does strike, like, a little bit of a, a fear, you know. Yeah. Especially since back then, it wasn't like we were looking for terrorists. And at that point, they probably didn't... I mean, they didn't know that it was, it was uh, men of Arab descent that did uh, 9-11... Uh, but the second you got off the plane and started to hear the reports and everything, you would be freaking out. Yeah. Like, you would be panicking. I, I would probably call the FBI, too. Yeah. I'm not a snitch, but I would probably be like, hey, uh, put it this on your weird. radar. Yeah, yeah, just to let you know something strange happened. So he says, I just count my blessing that we didn't take off that day like the other guys did. Our training was completely wrong. It was based on the Stockholm effect to try to calm the situation, make rapport, and get safely on the ground. But that required having to open the cockpit door and talk to them. And in this case, that would have been a death sentence. Yeah, because that was, that was the training. Yeah. That was the training for hijackings because hijackings were always a monetary or trying to get somewhere else, you know. And so it's crazy to think that that was, yeah. Yeah, that was part of the training. Mm-hmm. Now, I did want to mention because we talk, we've talked about Ed Ballinger um, an awful lot on here. Um, he was never the same after this. He was deeply affected by that day. Found himself constantly second-guessing himself to the point that he, like, he was asked to leave work. Wow. Yeah. He'd been a dispatcher since 1979, but would retire a month after 9-11 at the request of his job at age 63. I mean, I don't really blame him. No. That would give you a complex. This whole thing would. Yeah. So that's kind of what I have on this. I will say um, we talked a little bit about United 93, the film. Um, I, the, Paul Greengrass, um, wrote and directed that film and he, it's very accurate. It's very historically accurate and it has the support of the victim's families. So, um, I would definitely, and it has a lot of people that are starring in the film that Mm. were 
there on that day at air traffic control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were, yeah, you said so, that. I think that was the last episode, or was it the first episode? I don't know, because I might, now I'm seeing, like, how short this might be, and so maybe I'll just plop this on to the next one. I mean, maybe, but we haven't gotten into conspiracies yet. Well, let's dive into that. Welcome to Marcus's Conspiracy Corner. I know a lot about all of this. Apparently, I have nothing better to do at, like, 1 a.m., the first Me conspiracy. Me last night with Justin Bieber and Selena yeah. Gomez. So, <laughs> Anyways, yeah. the first of the conspiracies is that there were no passengers aboard, right? Yeah. That's the first one. And this kind of leads back to um, what happened with the Pentagon situation, mm -hmm. where one of the conspiracy theories, leading one, was that either they weren't on board or they were drugged and that there was a bomb in the bottom of the plane. Okay. In the cargo hold, right? Okay. So... This is also kind of tied into the drug thing. Um, like they pumped drugs through the, um, the AC system in order to make everyone fall asleep and stuff. I'm not joking with you. And then the... This takes so much creative like thinking compared to... And I will say, like on Conspiracy Corner, I watched a video um, this week because I was looking for CC Lyle's um, uh, voicemail. Mm -hmm. And this person's title was like allegedly CC Lyle's voicemail and then they put in the description you can hear at the end someone say you did a good job and I'm like if that was a fake voicemail which it was not but if that was I feel like our government would be a little bit more thorough in the fact that they would cut out the part where you said Good yeah. job, bud. That would be like the moon landing, and at the very end of it, Stanley Kubrick walks out without a suit on, and he's like, hey guys, Great round of applause, here's some there. beers, yeah. Now, the next one is that it was shot down. This yeah. is uh, an incredibly common, common conspiracy theory to have, because... Our government lied. Well, our government lies all the time, right? Um, but it's also because the people of Shanksville and the surrounding towns have gone on record stating that there was a small plane in the air minutes after 93 went down. What? And there was. Oh, so, how crazy. So, shortly after 93 went down, they started noticing this small white jet flying around. Okay. And being that it's so far up in the air, although I, I, it was only around 12,000 feet, um, which was around the same altitude as 93, when it uh -huh. right before it went down... Um, people would start to wonder if that was a fighter jet and they shot it down. Mm. Turns out that it wasn't. And this was a private aircraft and the pilot had no idea what was going on that day. Yeah. Because of course you wouldn't. Yeah. You didn't have smartphones or anything like that, right? And the tower at that point didn't even know anything was going on. So if you guys don't know, around the United States, there are an insane amount of private airfields. An insane mm. amount of them. And almost all of them, especially pre-9-11, have their own kind of radio and tower system. The one that up in Conroe that mom used to fly into, like back in the 80s with her Cessna. Yeah. That was one dude controlling the tower. And the tower wasn't a tower. It was a single-story shack where he had electricity running out to it, enough to power a radio to talk. Mm -hmm. So, all of that to say, it was very common for that to happen. And when it took off, it was only about 10 minutes after it took off, they got a call back from that tower saying, hey, land now. Land okay. now. Um, but it was a private jet, and the pilot had no idea. The tower had no idea. Did he see United 93? No. He didn't? Had no idea. But he wow. was around the same vicinity of it. Wow. So. Wow, that's crazy. Another point on the, um, the whole it was shot down thing is what's known as the roving engine, 
which was discovered about 300 meters away from the crash site before the crash site. Okay. I've gotten into it a couple times in other episodes, um, but hear me when I tell you that if it an aircraft is not designed for war, uh-huh. it is not a tough vehicle. And the fact that they were so close to the ground where you have all of this different types... Okay, we're going to get into a little bit of thermodynamic talk right now. But when you're flying, even during September, mm-hmm. when you are flying, I mean, gosh, especially this is the uh, the Northeast. This is where yeah, we grew cold. up, right? Yeah. It's cold, but all the greenery is still green mm-hmm. and it's still producing heat. So plants are really, really good at producing heat and they're really, really good about holding on to heat. And what that causes is something called a thermal, a rising thermal, which means that the heat is going to be pushing up. When you are super high up in the air, like 20,000 and above, you won't really feel the effects of that. But if you're only 10,000 feet above that, yeah. you are going to feel the effects of thermals, both rising and falling. So if you're going over parking lots, you're going to get a rising one. If you're going over the ocean, you're going to get a falling one because it's absorbing the heat, right? I don't know if these conspiracy theorists have ever been to Shanksville. Um, it's very. It looks a lot like where we grew up. Like, it's very, very nice. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. People in the comments that don't understand, we love where we grew up. It's a beautiful area, but because it's so beautiful, in my opinion, it is untouched, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very small town, a lot of greenery. There's a lot of open spaces. And when you flip a plane with a high polydihedral, what's going to happen is bits and pieces of that plane are going to start coming off. You are way too low. You were experiencing a lot of turbulence, and you they're said going that in the over. Last episode that you thought, like, yeah, bits, bits, bits like, will start falling off. He didn't understand. He didn't know the the plane flipping thing. I don't yeah. think until we did our first episode. No, I did not. So yeah, which yeah. is and it, you said pieces of that plane would have been coming off if he had flipped it like that. that and low. I'm and I'm sure it didn't really go into it on on the roving engine thing that I was researching. Mm-hmm. But I'm hundred percent sure you were finding panels of that plane mm-hmm. miles away. Well, right. I know, I know you are because I mean, the county coroner said like I mean, bits of the plane and and remains were found everywhere. Yes, and yeah. so the idea that and this is probably one of the reasons why they they because in that graph that she showed and you can show it again if you want mm-hmm. after that uh, like I think it's a tertiary um, ascent it is an immediate nosedive probably because they didn't have one of their friggin' engines. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like. Those big planes, especially planes that have a lower wing, it's not on the top. Mm-hmm. Lower wing, it's a polydihedral out like that. They don't want to stay in the air. You have to you have to basically romanticize them up into the air, basically. They don't want to stay up in the air. So, especially after you've come out of a roll and you straighten it back out again, now you are down an engine. And if it didn't come off during the roll, it would probably come back when it slammed it back um, horizontal. But once that comes off, you're going down. There is no ifs, ands, buts about it. I heard, okay, so this is like, obviously we're not pilots and um, this is all kind of a little bit of speculation. Mm. Um, I will say I had heard recently, because there was a, a an engine that went out on a plane yes. recently. I can't remember where it was headed to or what was going on. Um, but the second engine is there to keep you afloat until you can land. Yeah. And nine times out of ten you will be fine, like, once they get you on the ground and everything. Yes, but Mm -hmm. that's taking into account that the second engine is still attached. Mm. So it's like, 
if the first engine. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I see if, what you're saying. Because so, this one would have. You're you're saying that you assume that it like with parts of this plane were coming off. It was found 300 meters away. You're assuming that in this all of the struggle for the aircraft, that engine came off. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm assuming is that it came off during all that struggle, mm-hmm. and then you also have to, like I said, when you slam back down and accelerate. Yeah. Now you're putting even more stress on it. So like, there's a bunch of different safety uh, features to go through and safety protocol to go through if one of your engines go out. The main one being restarting that engine, right? The second one being okay, almost cutting the power on the second on the second one just to conserve it so it doesn't kill itself because engines are really, really, really complicated machines. And especially when you start looking at turbine engines, they are a really complicated machine. Um, when an overcomplicated machine becomes overworked, there are 50,000 million parts to break. And when things start breaking, they can start ending up in the turbine itself. And when things end up in the turbine, the turbine jams or it breaks. And that's it. I have one final thing. You're excited about this one, I can tell. I'm very excited about this one. (laughs) What do you guys know about Alex Jones? Uh, He's nuts. And that there was a whole trial this past year about whether or not Sandy Hook even existed because he thinks that there's like... I don't know, actors involved. Prices actors, yeah. Yeah, and he's just, and he said some really fucked up shit. Yeah, he said some heinous stuff. And I believe he has walked back some of his statements about 9-11. However, um, he has not walked back his statements about the government perpetrating it. Well. Which, a broken clock still can be right twice a day. Yeah. Now, he had an interview on shortly after 9-11. Because, okay. his, I mean, his show, for those of you that don't know, and you just know about Alex Jones from, like, the memes, like, turning the frogs gay and stuff like that. <laughs> Turn the frogs gay. <laughs> when, you're, when you're talking about Alex Jones, you are not talking about somebody who just popped up in the past decade. He no, has, he's been around for forever. He has been around yeah. a very, very long time. So, he had a show um, that was, I believe, between the 90s and the early 2000s. It was Pretty short run show. Okay, so in 2004, because like I said, Alex Jones has been around for decades. Yeah. Absolutely decades. Um, he got someone on the show called Colonel Don de Grand Prix. Sorry. Um, and he said on the show that he knows the guy that shot it down. In fact, he was in the meeting that was happening during the shooting the shooting of 93. Well, here's a, here's, here's a thing just to, to jet in here. At one point in time, Dick Cheney, vice president, he would say, oh yeah, we already shot one down. So he, so devil's advocate here. Yeah. He may have just, yeah, there may have been a meeting where they were like, yeah, that day, like, yeah, we shot that down or we're going to shoot that down or whatever, because that was the confusion of that day. But anyways, continue yes, with and your it was, theory. And it was all of the day of. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just like, and it was yeah. just a total, like, as you can see from the timestamps that we figured out, it it was a mess. Our military didn't do anything to change anything. But go ahead with his claim. So, um, Colonel mm-hmm. uh, Grand Prix um, stated that not only was he in that meeting, but he did know the pilot. Okay. And that pilot was... Hang on a second. Major Rick Gibney. This was all done in 2004, mm-hmm. and I know the pilot, and it was shot down by the Air National Guard of North Dakota, and it was shot down by Major Rick Gibney. North Dakota? Okay. Yeah. I, I just don't know, because, like, like, from all of the, like, people that were working on this, NEADS, um, like, from... Why wouldn't have been Pennsylvania's Air National Guard? Or even, like, New York airspace. Or, yeah. like, why, why North Dakota? Anyways, yeah. okay. 
He said all of this, and Alex Jones got a hold of uh, Major Rick Gibney. He said he declined to comment. So, that of course led oh. to a big, big thing of like, oh, he's declining to comment, da 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 Well, listen to this. First off, then he was asked by Major Rick Gibney, uh, was asked by another talk show, hey, why did you decline to comment on the Alex Jones thing? And he was like, I don't want my hat in the ring. I don't want to fuel this. No. I don't want to, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm just, it's better to say nothing. And that's what the army teaches you. It is better to say nothing. Um, that's so, what Disney taught me. Yes. Like, you don't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, you don't say Don't anything. make a comment, on, especially on behalf of something as big as, you know, the United, because he would be speaking again, even though it was supposedly him that did it, he would be speaking for the military. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then it also came out that the, the colonel he was talking to was not a full bird colonel. He's a lieutenant colonel, which is one rank below colonel. Okay. If you guys didn't know. So... Stating that he went on the show and posed as a superior officer, um, that's a crime. Fun fact. Essentially what it boils down to is that if I was a specialist or a private first class and I just put on a sh um, three chevrons to make myself look like a sergeant and then I walked around impersonating a sergeant, I can get jail time for that. Yeah. The same thing happens as if I'm a sergeant and then I put a little rocker underneath my thing and I say, yeah, I'm an E6 now. So I'm going to tell everybody what to do. I know more than this, that, and the other thing. That can lead to jail time. So him getting on the show and stating that he was a rank above himself um, is a crime punishable by the United States Military Code of Justice. However, you guys aren't ready for this. Major Rick Gibney was flying that day. That is true. That is an, that's a fact. You he can was in look, the air. Yeah, you can okay. look at his flight records, and yes, he is from Fargo, North Dakota. Okay. He is from the Air National Guard of North Dakota. Okay. He was flying that day. The claim was that he shot down the plane at exactly 9.58 in the morning. Okay. He wasn't over Shanksville or Pennsylvania or anything like that until after 10 o'clock. He was a part of the rescue attempts. And that sounds really weird. Yeah. But what they were essentially doing is combing through the airspace. What they were doing was not only looking for other hijacked planes... They were looking for, just in case, like you said, the confusion of that day. We don't, we didn't know what happened in 93. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know where 77 was for 37 minutes. So at that point, you're starting to look for it on the ground because maybe it's landed. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So they are combing through the air. And not only that, he actually helped um, escort another general over um, along with, I think, close to 17,000 troops. To help comb through the area and see if it, there were any survivors or anything wow. like that. So he was in the air. And there's the, the reason he declined to comment, in my opinion, was, was not only to save his own butt. Because in the military eyes, if you say nothing, good job. Yeah. I also think it was because he didn't want to spill the beans that he was actually out there looking for people. Mm. This is not like a conspiracy theory or anything. When you talk to a lot of military members that aren't dude bro vets, right... When you talk to a lot of them, they won't really talk about what they did for their communities or anything like that because they don't want to seem like they have a big ego or anything like that. They may be very proud of the work they did, and I'm sure he is very proud of the work he did. However, he didn't comment on that day because if he had just said, oh, I was in the airspace around this time, mm -hmm. well, you shot it down. You fired those Sidewinder missiles, right? So all of this to say that Alex Jones is insane and that lieutenant colonel and this is go ahead with your thoughts and then i'll come on to alex for a minute not only impersonated a superior officer 
But he also did so um, under the guise, basically, of trying to stir up more controversy about the most bloody day of America's history. I cannot figure out whether he was arrested or anything like that. In my opinion, he should be. He should be 100% arrested and taken to trial for that. Because if Alex Jones, who is just a talk show host, is having all this happen to him, why isn't this other guy? Mm. Because he went on to that talk show specifically to spread malicious rumors in order to affect his employer, Mm. the United States government. And I will say, so when it comes to someone like an Alex Jones or even us, there is a certain responsibility to making sure that what you're saying has grounds and also making sure... Making sure your guest is a reliable source. Like yeah. you shouldn't just have someone on talking out of their ass. Like mm-hmm. quite honestly, like the fact that he lied about his rank and everything. I mean that. I mean that's like the tipping point of red flags of like, yeah, lying about that day. Keep in mind, back then, you could fact check, but it would take a long time. A lot to fact. That's the thing too. Yeah, because like nowadays we have Google at our fingerprint, our fingertips, so like people can, if they want to. Although I've noticed a lot of people don't care to; they just like to see the clickbait stuff. But people can, if they want to, dive into things. But back then, no, it it wouldn't have been to the same extent. And not only that, but we are still seeing in real time people fall for this kind of stuff. Oh, come the, on! The most, the most. This is a total side note from what from the topic that we were discussing, but it is very important to understand. The Paul brothers. Oh, Jake and Logan. So I believe it was Jake. Correct me if I'm wrong. He started a crypto thing called CryptoZoo. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every single one of the lead developers, if you look up any of their names, even before CryptoZoo started, are all con men. Every sync, you just have to type their name into Google and it says top 10 scams that blah, blah, blah did, you know, um, biggest rug pull I've ever seen. Da, 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 da. People are still falling for this. Oh, it's not just that. I mean, I mean, I could get on a whole rant of everybody and their dog tells me now, well, you know, I did the whole justice for Johnny Depp thing. They're like, well, you saw the unsealed files. He's guilty. Oh my God. People don't. They don't click the articles that they see the, the, the titles for. Or if they do, those articles, they don't source their material. Because, no. yeah, I saw the unsealed documents. There was a heck of a lot of litigation, which also the normal layman does not understand litigation. Litigation is two parties' lawyers arguing back and forth what's fact and what's fiction. And guess what? Lawyers have privilege. So lawyers can claim that this is 100% true or this is 100% true that basically defame each other's clients uh, legally in a court of law because they're trying to do it to win their case. And they have that privilege in a court of law to be able to do that. That was what was going on in the unsealed documents. It's why they weren't allowed into court. There's a reason they didn't make it into court. And like, I could break that. I I may end up breaking that whole thing down because it, it drives me bananas when they're like, there was so much evidence against Johnny that just wasn't allowed into court. No, there fucking wasn't. There just wasn't like, and (sighs) <sighs> it's it's all about confir- it hurts. and it's all about confirmation bias so yes. when you go and look something up on google this is what i do because when i was younger and i was 
doing the stupid thing of arguing with people online rather than just memeing, as we, as the kids call it, uh, shit posting. Um, I would start looking up articles with my exact wording of like, hey, you know, this, that, and the other thing, did that happen? And there would be countless articles backing up my point with mm -hmm. countless pieces of evidence. However, if you looked up the exact same thing, but just worded it of, you know, the, the other opinion, yeah, mm -hmm. the other opinion, the exact same, same news articles too would pop up with the same facts backing them up rather than you. So if you are going to Google something and especially like if you're going to come into um, a video's comments or anything like that. And by the way, I, I research, she researches, we don't get the whole story sometimes. No. That is fine. If you do want to go into the comments and just be like, hey, you missed some things. Here's some other things. This is, this is what I found. Dude, that's fantastic. Please, we would love yeah. to see that because we are not going to get everything, mm -hmm. right? She works a job. I work a job. I'm trying to start my own business. We are trying to do this. There's like 15 million things going on in our lives at any point. But when confirmation bias comes into it, that's when you get people who are so sold out to things like the Alex Jones show, who just find something that catches their attention and then they just run with it. Yeah. And it's it, it it's very unfortunate, especially once again, when you were talking about something as devastating, as heartbreaking as 9-11, you will get people who latch on to the tinfoil hat mm -hmm. and they don't let go, right? It yeah. is always good to have skepticism. Skepticism about any event in history is a fine thing to have. However, looking at something like 9-11, which we have objective proof of, objective videos of, objective phone calls for, like we have all of this stuff that you, you cannot say isn't real because it all happened. Guess what? I was alive when it happened. She was alive when it happened. Yeah. You can't look at all this stuff and then say, you know what? We threw a missile into a random field in Shanksville. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. We have so much objectable, objective proof. Objective. Oh my gosh, I can't speak. Objective proof. You just can't do that. My whole thing with, like, Conspiracy Corner and stuff like that is to debunk some of the things that have, have been said about this by people such as Alex Jones and by that guy that was impersonating an officer of a higher rank. We are not here to fuel conspiracy. We are not here to do any of that. What we're here is just to give you the facts... I put on my silly little hat. We've got the conspiracies over on this side. And then we work through our stuff that we've researched and say, that is, that's completely false. There is no way that could have happened. And like you said, when I first when I said that there were no passengers or they were all drugged, that's a lot of creativity. That's a lot of creativity. Like that, like you're really thinking outside the box with that, especially when there is so many recorded phone calls from that day. But I, I will say like in looking into all of this, I, as a young person that did well, young. Well, now I'm not as young, but as someone that did grow up during the time and, and remembers 9-11, I have been shocked while researching all of this stuff, just how little I even know about the subject. Oh, yeah. Because we kind of took that day on a face value basis. So I will say with like the people that are the conspiracy theorists and everything, I mean, good on people for looking a bit deeper into things because... I mean, yeah, there's something wrong. There's something weird with our government. There's We deserve answers. The American people deserve answers. And I also feel like we, we say never forget. And yet I didn't know that the 9-11 victims' families were have been trying to sue Saudi Arabia yeah. and have been fighting this fight kind of by themselves while we, the American people, 
never forget annually. Yeah. That's kind of messed up it that is. we've kind of put them on the back burner. And also, 9-11 killed a lot more people than um, the under 3,000 that died that day. Um, they have been suffering with diseases and everything else that were illnesses inflicted from the towers falling on them, mm. from what they've inhaled. Like, and then my and then my brothers and sisters in uniform. And we went to war. We, we have we had, went and fought a, a, a war that had no causation to go into certain countries for. No, absolutely not. It's because we, we latched onto the idea that it was Al-Qaeda mm-hmm. or it was the Taliban and, and then, soared with that. And yeah. keeping in mind that we created those cells. And then we kidnap people from their home and are still holding them with no charges for over 20 years at yeah. Guantanamo Bay outside of our country. Like, so there's been a lot that's been done wrong. And I think it's interesting. It's not only interesting to look through, but I think we need to start looking at it because there are things that need to be shut down, like Guantanamo Bay. There's questions that need to be asked of why are we in the Middle East? It's still affecting us to this day. Yes. What are we going to do on uh, next, next week's? Next, next week. Um, I'm kind of in the... It'll be next, next week that the next episode comes out. I'm kind of on the fence on what to look into next. So give me a minute to... This This has taken up... I actually had thought about scripting a little bit more for this episode. Mm-hmm. But I am exhausted on this emotionally and mentally. I'm just going to be real. This has been really heavy stuff to get through. If you want, I can take the rein on something that happened that day. Which could probably fill up an entire episode. Okay. And I can write that down on my phone throughout the week yeah. and then bring my computer finally. I feel naked in front of you guys without my computer. Um, but yeah. So I can I can look into I can look into that. No spoilers. I'm not giving you guys anything to go off of. Okay. Or her until after the camera shuts off. But yeah. Alright. Well but I think that's I think that's pretty much it for this episode. But yeah, until next next week. Yes, until next next week, we will see you guys later. Bye. Thank you for watching.